the thing that most interests and excites my passion about this area of history is really the very human stories you can uncover and tell. We talk about 330,000 men and women who served overseas in the First World War, but that's 330,000 individual stories of of service and and tragedy and struggle. And so that's really what fascinates me. And my favorite thing is reading through a lot of the original letters and and diaries these men and women wrote in the heat of combat or or back on the lines. And you're reading these words written a hundred years ago and they could be written today. Some stories and things they say are just so heart-wrenching and deeply touching. And I think this area of history is just really a window into that terrible human experience a hundred years ago. And, and that's just what really captures me in doing this research and finding out about these stories and sharing them with others, I think, is the most important thing. So they don't get forgotten. Back in World War One, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women weren't initially even allowed to enlist in the war. And some of these restrictions were relaxed from 1917 onwards and when they needed more recruits. But there's definitely still a lack of understanding about Indigenous service in World War I in particular. And these stories are, are being uncovered right now. Historians at the Australian War Memorial are finding new um, Indigenous service personnel every day because these details were lost on their enlistment forms, whether they lied on them or just omitted them in order to be able to serve for king and country. Right now, we're, we're finding out about these stories and, and we can tell these stories now. And it's just really important to have that link, I think, to this aspect of the past that, that has often been overlooked. We've identified so far just over a thousand Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women who served in the First World War. And some of their stories are, are remarkable. You know, a lot of them traveled to different enlistment spots. If they were ejected from one, they went miles to apply to another. And Indigenous digger Valentine Hare, who was from just south of Cairns, and he struggled to enlist. He got in eventually and he served in the Light Horse over in the Sinai-Palestine campaign. But even once these soldiers were serving and overseas, they were still facing difficulties side by side with majority white comrades. And that discrimination they faced back home definitely didn't disappear during the war and after the war as well. Coming home, they faced still enormous difficulties being recognised for their service. It just wasn't really a reality until many, many years later. For a lot of them, I think war acted as a kind of great leveller. When you're in the trenches with men at your age, it didn't really matter what their race was sometimes. If you were all just going to go over the top and tragically die, maybe. But there was definitely still issues and discrimination rife amongst the troops. Famous saying was a lot of Aboriginal men were too dark to fight in the light horse. And even before the war had begun, um, the Australian Prime Minister, Billy Hughes, he bid the Australian soldiers to fight for white Australia in France was his saying and I think definitely a pervasive attitude throughout and and even though a lot of Indigenous diggers did still experience the same or similar experiences of mateship during the war, I think there was definitely still a disconnect amongst their white comrades and definitely persisted after the war as well. Even in World War II, which saw a much higher Indigenous enlistment rate, both men and a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women enlisted in auxiliary efforts on the home front. But those attitudes are still persisting. World War I was, you know, in the late 1930s, 1940s, and and definitely there were still major issues of of discrimination and everything that 
Indigenous people faced. It was just a, a very difficult time. But these men and women were still willing and wanted to potentially lay down their lives for, for this country. And I think that's just still so powerful and, and really why we need to bring these stories and experiences to light, I think. On a lot of the official documentation, um, particularly enlistment forms, when Aboriginal men were trying to enlist in the First World War, a lot of them skirted around the restrictions by being described on the forms as simply dark complexioned or with just dark hair and dark eyes. If they didn't explicitly state something that they were able to fight and that sort of thing makes documentation a bit difficult to decipher and that's why we're still uncovering these stories in the Australian War Memorial. They're still finding these records of enlistment in the First World War especially. Maybe a lot of the men enlisted because they thought there would be better treatment after the war, you know, once they'd proven themselves and fought for their country, they would see improvement in the way they were treated and living conditions. The shame is that that didn't happen after the war. It was the same discrimination and the same difficulties faced and just makes it all the more awful and, and powerful, really, these stories, these men, but women too, who were willing to fight for their country as well as for king and country. It was terrible. A lot of them were denied entry into their local RSL. Sometimes they were permitted to march on Anzac Day, but not even then. And sometimes Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander servicemen were even denied some of their pensions and back pay that they were eligible for after the war. And from what I know, only they've only found one Aboriginal returned soldier who was granted one of those returned soldier settlement blocks out of thousands of men who came back. So the war didn't really change anything at all. And it was years and years late before any of that really got to change. After the war, a lot of the soldiers had to deal with the repatriation department. And it wasn't just an issue for Aboriginal soldiers, I don't think. There was a lot of um, issues around pension as well for some wounded and disabled returned veterans. But it was definitely a problem specifically faced by a lot of returned Indigenous diggers who maybe their service wasn't recognised or wasn't recognised at maybe the same level as a lot of their white comrades. But regarding World War One specifically, back in 1918 and 1919 when the World War I had just ended, what we acknowledge today is post-traumatic stress disorder. The issue faced by a lot of the returned soldiers because other mental health issues didn't really exist back then for anyone. Shell shock was the common term used in World War One. And it was sort of this, this new phenomena that no one had really dealt with before. And a lot of the men coming home, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander diggers, but also white return soldiers, there weren't the institutional structures to deal with this new problem of these men returning from a terrible, terrible experience of world war on a scale that no one had ever seen before. And they were returning home and they couldn't articulate their experiences to people who hadn't been over there. And it was just really isolating in terms of the support offered for them. I think it was very difficult to get a lot of that for anyone. Every town, I'm sure, in Australia has a war memorial, whether it's an actual sculpture or a cenotaph or just an honour board with the names of the soldiers who served in the local school or even the church. And it really drives home just how nationwide this war was. It was a world war. It was a war that the entirety of Australia fought in and and lost beloved sons and daughters and brothers and husbands, really being confronted with the reality in regional towns. Three or four brothers who enlisted together and didn't come home. It's terrible, and it was unfortunately a common experience, and I think it really scarred a lot of communities and, and scarred the nation for a really long time afterwards. The project I'm working on, Australian War Stories, the aim is really to bring these stories back to life, and if anyone listening is 
interested in finding out about their ancestor or, or someone from their community who fought in the war, you can visit australianwarstories.com.au and type in the name of, of your hero and learn about their war service and hopefully go on to tell that story yourself.